Lord, thank you for this time together. Lord, we ask that you would open up the word to us. May you be honored as we dive into the word. May you be honored as our hearts open up and surrender to you. We thank you for the privilege we have right now to be able to do this. Glorify yourself and move in the midst of our um, congregation and in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm excited. I, I, uh, um, this is something, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 has, has been something that has, uh, that I've been, I've been, it's been burning in my heart for a very long time. It's just one of my favorite chapters from uh, the Apostle Paul's teaching. And I'm excited to share it this morning, and I want to take some time to dive into the background. It's so important for us to understand, and I know we've, we've heard the story of Mount Sinai and how Moses was given the commandments and how the Lord appeared in power and Israel uh, met this God that brought them out of Egypt. Really powerful story, and, and, and it's, it's important to understand that in context of what Paul is, is teaching here in chapter 3. We're going to do that. Uh, I'll try to do like an overview and, and cover it fairly quickly so we can stay in the chapter of uh, chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. But let's start by reading. I want to start with verse 3 of, of this chapter in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 3. Being manifested that you are a letter of Christ cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate. Verse 5, I, I want us to, to sink this deep as a foundation for everything that we're saying today. It's so, so crucial to understand this is the foundation for our hearts as we move into what God has here. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Verse 6, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. I want to talk about our unveiled confidence, the posture of our heart as we move into this incredible promise, and as we discover that we are the, the very Mount Sinai of God, and as we look at what God did in that uh, incredible passage of time with Israel, I want us to really start to make it personal. That's, that's my hope for today. So we see this contrast of tables of stone Tablets of stone, I should say, and tablets of human hearts. Tablets, of course, going back to what Moses had when he brought the commandments to the people. They were tablets. And I, I joke all the time, my wife corrects me. In school, where, where I, I grew up in a uh, parochial Catholic school, and the nuns always said tablets, like grab your tablet, grab your tablet. So it wasn't notebook, it was tablet. So my wife was confused, you know, like, hey, can you grab the tablet over there? And I still do it to this day, it's hard. She's like, what tablet? What are you talking about? What's a tablet? It's a notebook. You write on it. You don't... She's like, that's called a notebook. I'm like, oh. Okay. So, you know, to me, it, it carries a lot of meaning, uh, but that may be antiquated in our day. I don't know. Um, all right, so let's talk about the contrast. So like I said, I want to go 
through Exodus 19 through 33, not read the whole thing, but I want to pull out highlights. So that's, that's my focus right now. So here's the background of what happens. The Lord calls and speaks to Moses at Mount Sinai. They've, I, I believe it's three months or so uh, out of Egypt that they've been moving with God in this new promise, and they arrive at Mount Sinai. And this is where the Lord starts pulling out all the stops, as if he hadn't already, with the incredible Exodus story. But now, this God that called them into it was still very mysterious to these people. And now God's going to reveal himself in power, and it's Mount Sinai where this is going to take place. So they come to this place, and the Lord calls and speaks to Moses first. He declares his intentions to make Israel his own possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Right from, right from day one. We know this language. We use it all the time. But the Lord's intentions right from day one was to have a special treasured possession of his people, to make them all a kingdom of priests, to make them all a holy nation. And, and he makes that very clear to Moses. Exodus 19.9 says, he tells Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you forever. Now, pause on that. This, this is incredible. This really hit me the other day. We know this to be a messianic prophetic promise. We know that the voice of the Father speaking to Jesus authorizes Jesus, validates Jesus in the midst of all the witnesses and to all of us. But he, when he speaks, um, then he says, Behold, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, hear him. He did that for Moses. So though we, though we know this to be a, a messianic prophetic promise, we cannot detract from the sense that in a very real way, and this is what I want us to get, Moses, a very real person, was having this relational connection with the father, and the father was saying, look, what I'm about to do to you, son, is going to prove to the people that I am with you forever. They will know and believe what I'm doing in you forever. He began right from the get-go to make it all about relationship with Moses. And we're going to see that. So let's not remove Moses. It's kind of easy to think, that's the old covenant. And we have the new covenant now, and Moses was a foreshadow of Christ. And, and it's easy to kind of forget and lose the intimate relational dynamics happening between Moses and God on Sinai. But that was the dynamic that God wanted for all of Israel. Um, so we're going to start looking through this as if we are Moses. I want us to kind of look at that. Moses foreshadows Christ, but I believe if, if we dig into this, we'll see he's a beautiful foreshadowing of how we posture our hearts with the Lord and the Lord's goodness towards us, uh, the way his goodness was towards Moses. So he tells him, consecrate the people, make them ready. I'm coming, Okay. It's interesting. Read that when you have time. It's interesting how the Lord lays that out, but he makes it clear. I am about to come in a supernatural way, and the people need to be ready. They need to be prepared. And I don't, I don't think there was really any way they truly could be prepared for what was about to happen. 
but God laid it out for them. The Lord arrives on the third day, early in the morning, I love this, with a massive shofar blast. He wakes the people up. I don't, maybe some people were, were awake already and, you know, tending to the goat outside the tent, maybe getting some goat cheese for their, their breakfast. I don't, I don't know, but maybe a few were awake. But I like to think Jesus got up early to pray. The Lord's probably up, awake, ready to go, and he blows the shofar. Now, this is a, a heavenly shofar. Shofar is horn. It's a ram's horn. So we know that. That's where it comes from. It's also translated trumpet. But it is a blast, and it is such a furious blast that the people tremble at the sound of it. And it is the announcement, the declaration that the God that brought you from Egypt is now arriving in your midst. Incredible. So uh, the sound of it, I don't think there's anything we can liken it to. But that's what's happening The people tremble at the sound of the the blast of this shofar, this trumpet. The Lord descends in fire, and the whole mountain quakes. Notice that the Lord initiates this at first. There isn't any calling. We We don't hear Moses calling out in morning prayer, and then the Lord answers, although that's important. We'll go to that. This was the Lord initiating. They probably had no idea when this was going to happen. They had an idea in the sense of the Lord made it pretty clear that he was coming. But in terms of the exact moment when this trumpet blasts and the Lord descends in fire, that was all God. And so now it's happening. It's really happening. It happens with such power, the mountains quake. And imagine that. God descending in fire, causing an entire mountain to quake and move. This blast that's, in my opinion, is still going on. I don't know if it's multiple blasts, or it's just one, someone was saying the other night, the, the uh, concert, um, one of the musicians that was here had uh, a trumpet, and they were doing the continuous breathing, so they had one trumpet note at the end of the concert, and it just kept going, going. I believe this is probably one significant blast of the shofar continuing throughout this, so get this, watch this. Um, mountains are quaking, people are trembling. The blasts get louder and louder, the Bible says. Louder and louder. And I love this. And then it says Moses speaks. Not that anyone could hear him or whatever. But what did Moses say? In my, in, in my opinion, I think he's probably saying, he's probably like crying uncle. Like, oh, we get it, God. Okay, enough is enough. We're here. You got our attention. I don't, I don't know what he says there, but it was, it was enough for the Lord to stop the trumpet blasts and respond with thunder. That word in Hebrew is voice. So it's hard to distinguish between thunders and and the voice when God speaks. And in my opinion, they're one and the same, right? And a lot of it has to do with our perception of who God is. To some, um, when God's speaking to us, it may seem like thunder, moving, shaking, quaking, but we know he can also whisper. Um, So the voice of God is, is... now, in an audible way, answering when Moses speaks, the trumpets stop. Um, now, the people are, uh, at this point, um, he calls out to Moses. And he makes it very specific that boundaries need to be made for the people. 
They see what's happening, and I don't even necessarily know if anyone was like running to the front of the altar at that time. But he basically says, look, rope it off. Um, make boundaries. If the people come too close, then they're gone. They're, they're going to get nuked by what I'm doing here. The people are terrified when they see this, and they plead with Moses. They say, um, you speak with us in place of God. We want to keep this distance we have. So again, were the boundaries necessary? Of course they were, but the people were, they were more than happy to comply with that because of the stunning event that was happening on Mount Sinai. So the people are, are wanting to distance themselves, and they are choosing Moses to be the go-between. So Moses has really the honor and the privilege of stepping into this, right? As terrifying as that may seem. So the people are terrified, but Moses is the one that draws near to the thick cloud. Get that. He goes right into it. God makes a covenant with Israel, and the people, this is important, they agree to do all of his commands. Moses says, this is what the Lord says. He's given us commandments. He's given us ordinances. Um, and, and the people say, we're good with that. That's good, Moses. As long as you keep what we got going on here with this distancing, absolutely. The God that's doing that thing on that mountain, absolutely. We're good with doing whatever he says. We don't have any objection to that. Moses meets with God, and he receives the first two stone tablets. These tablets are actually made by God. The commandments written on these tablets are written by the very finger of God. And we see that in Exodus 31, 18, and chapter 32, 15, and 16, it refers to these first two stone tablets as the work of God, God's work. Plain and simple. There's no question if you study it. It's not like Moses chiseled some things and then he listened to the Lord and he chiseled some more. The Lord gives him these two stone tablets. That's God's work, period. Amen. Really, really amazing. And this thing is wanting to jump off of my head today. Okay, so let's move on, try to get through this. Before Moses even comes back down from the mountain, he has these newly minted commandments that the people said, we're good with it. Whatever you got going on in Sinai with God, we're good. No problem there. No objection. Stuff gets stirred up in the camp, and Aaron's part of it, and they make the golden calf. And we, we, we all know this. We've, we've seen the movies. We've heard the messages. And God warns Moses. <laughs> this is interesting to me. But God says, look, you better get back down there. Things, they've already blown this thing. Like, it's done. They're obstinate. They have already turned away from the way that I'm establishing right at this point. You better get back down there. Now, of course, Moses doesn't have that amazing view that God has, and so he starts interceding. He can't really see what's happening, but he's just, God's like, Moses, move out of the way. I'm going to boot kick these people and send them, you know, Anyways, he says, they were afraid of my voice. They were afraid of what they saw in Sinai. I'm about to eradicate them. Yeah. And that's, that's important. It's really important to understand that when God says he's going to do that, that wasn't like he's playing a game with Moses. I believe it's really important that if Moses didn't, it's important for us to know that if Moses didn't intercede and move into that role, 
that God said, I want to make a kingdom of priests. It was an invitation. Moses was the only one that stepped into the cloud, although they all, in my opinion, with God establishing the boundaries, if their hearts had been at the place that Moses' heart was, they could have moved into that cloud. Moses moved into that cloud. The, the, the beauty of God, the ministry of God, and he steps into it and becomes a priest. And he begins to intercede and says, Lord, you can't do this. All the nations are going to say, what, did their God bring them out there to do evil things to them? Did he bring them out there to nuke them and torture them? And Moses has a good point, but he hasn't seen what's happened yet. He just moves into this. Stunning thing, we've heard it. The Lord changes his mind. And again, it's not like the Lord changed his mind. I believe that the Lord's intention was to carry out what he said. But he was also opening up a place for Moses to step into the intercession. And with Moses stepping into the intercession, can God change his mind? Absolutely. God can do anything he, he wants. His intention truly was to do that. What changed his mind? His friend Moses in the intercession. So God changes his mind, but it's interesting. Moses still hasn't seen what's happening. So he's going down with Joshua, and you know, we know the story. Joshua's like, oh, there's a sound of war in the camp. Things are crazy. And Moses is like, mm-mm-mm-mm, that's not war. That sounds like celebration. Something's not right here. And Moses finally gets to the point where he sees what's happening. They're dancing and stuff. And I don't know, but he must have saw Aaron. And I, I like laughed inside, but maybe they were, what's that crazy dance the kids were doing a couple years ago? Floss or whatever that thing was? And I'm not even going to attempt it. Does anyone want to try Avner, you want to try the floss? No. It's an abomination. <laughs> hey, doesn't your son, Caleb, he's pretty good at the floss, isn't he? Where is he? Caleb, can you do the floss? <sighs> Anyways, maybe Aaron's doing that, and the people of Israel are doing that, or maybe they're line dancing. Just teasing all my line dancing fans in here. But whatever they were doing, Moses clearly saw it. Now, I want you to get this. He has two stone tablets that were crafted by the very hand of God. I want you to think about this. Think about what it would take to get you to a point. You have these artifacts from heaven, divine in nature. What would it take for you to chuck these things down? And we're not even talking about what they, what they stand for. They stand for the, the covenant of the Lord, okay? And he throws these things at the foot of Mount Sinai and they are destroyed, blow to pieces. That's amazing. So Moses saw the way God saw, right? Thankfully, his intercession came before that. Would he have interceded? Whatever drove him to do that was intense. Would he have interceded the same way? So it's kind of a little lesson for us. Really, really amazing, deep Effective uh, intercession sometimes takes us to have blind eyes, to close our eyes, to get into our closet and say, Lord, I know this is going on. I know this person has done this, but you know what? I'm not going to look at it according to the natural. I need to move into a place that I don't understand according to the natural. I need to understand this in the thick cloud of your presence. So moving along here. So things get bad. Okay, 
He breaks the stone tablets because the people are rebelling. Um, And Moses begins to clean house. The Lord begins to reveal, and it's heartbreaking when you really, really look through it and really try to get the heart of it, the relational aspect. The Lord begins to reveal that he's not going with him. I've heard this preached so many times, but when I really meditated and stopped, and, and you, can, you can see how devastating this news was. The Lord reveals, look, I'll send an angel to carry out the work, but I'm not going to go with you. They're obstinate, and if I go with you, I'm eventually going to end up eradicating them. It's better for me not to go. Now, this is Moses, the friend of God, and the people. Check this out. The people, this news is, it says that the people heard it and were sad. That's an understatement. The word sad translation, at least in the New American Standard that I have, um, is actually raw. In Hebrew, is evil. Now, it's not that they're saying God is evil. They're saying this news is so, so devastating to us that God won't go with us. And it hits them, and, and I believe it hits Moses even harder than what it did for the people of Israel. But check out what happens. In this time, we also get this beautiful passage of how it says that Moses would continue to meet with the Lord and he would, he would do it, set up a tent of, of meeting with the Lord. And as he would go into that tent, the people of Israel would be outside their tents. They would watch Moses go to the place of meeting. And when Moses would go in there, a thick cloud would come and hover over that tent. The people would fall on the ground, again, from a distance, but they knew it was significant. And it says that in that transaction, that Moses had a relationship with the Lord as with a friend, and it was face-to-face. But you have to understand, it couldn't have truly been face-to-face because the Lord's going to tell us in the passage I'm going to read that no man or woman can look at the face of God and live. But what was it? It was the cloud. The Lord had that cloud there. So the Lord's face was very real, very present, but thank God for the cloud. But Moses was in that cloud, and he's talking with the Lord as with a friend. So the, the relational dynamic here is powerful, and we're going to see it uh, in an amazing way uh, as, we, as we move on. Moses pleads for the presence, and I believe it's his priest, priestly mantle of intercession, but it's also the friend of God saying, you're my God. You're telling me that I may not have this anymore. If I continue to do what you've told me to do with my people, we go on that I won't have what's happening here. So I believe there's a very real relational dynamic. Yes, it's Moses leading the people of Israel as a priest, but it's also Moses, the human being, who's falling in love with this God of Sinai. He pleads for the presence. He says this, you say, I have known you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Listen to what he says, very personal things here. Teach me your ways so I may know you, Exodus 33, 12. At the heart of it, he's saying, God, just I want to know you more. I want to know you more. Don't, don't take your presence away from me, Lord. And Israel, too. And if you read it, it's just like that. Read it. It's, Lord, don't take your presence away from me. And, and Israel, 
Lord, I want to know you more. Oh, yeah, and your people too. Yeah, they do too. And I know he carried that responsibility very seriously, but his heart is totally invested in this. And God's heart is invested in Moses. Why? Because look what we see. Exodus 33, I do want to read this part now. Exodus 33, 17 through 23. And we're all so familiar with this. The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken. For you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you. He didn't want to stop there. The Lord basically said, yes, okay, I'll go with you. He didn't want to stop there. He said, show me your glory. I've seen you in the cloud. I know you're veiling your face. Lord, show me your face. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. This is important. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. A boundary. But God's saying, look, I will do so much in context of what you're asking, but you can't see my face. The Lord said, behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now, understand, this is all happening in between the making of the divine two stone tablets that were broken, and God basically said, I'm done with this covenant, I'm gonna eradicate them. So that was basically game over right from the start for them. Moses has this interaction with God before God reinstitutes the commandments, the two stone tablets again for a second time. So in between that moment of covenant, Moses is experiencing through faith and through grace and through the very goodness of God, he is experiencing this show me your glory part. That's important to understand because it is from day one the way God wants to relate to his people. We know that. Pastor Tony has taught so many times on the significance of the law of Moses as a school teacher, as something that is never meant for us to establish righteousness, but something that was meant to show us our inability to be righteous. And the people of Israel made that so abundantly clear right from day one. They couldn't do it. They just could not do it. So God says, okay, it can't be done, but in the midst of this moment, broken covenants, let me show you this. Powerful. So what happens then? Now the Lord says, cut out for yourself two stone tablets. You cut the tablets. You bring the tablets. You partner with me now in what we're about to do. Amazing. He says, make them just like the former ones. And that could be some, you know, 
God giving Moses a hard time because now he has to cut. I don't even know if Moses is a mason or not, but now he's got to chisel out two stone tablets. I'm sure those stone tablets were beautiful, by the way, and now Moses has to replicate that. So that's an interesting task Moses has to do now. But he says, I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets which you shattered. So many, there are so many symbols, and I know we know this. He's saying, I'm going to do the exact same writing, the exact, because God's perfect, on the stones that you give me, as I did on the stones that I gave you. Amazing, which you broke, by the way, which was a, a picture, a symbol of they broke it right on day one. But now let's do something different. So, he makes the stone tablets just like the former ones. He rises up early in the morning. I'm in chapter 34. I'm just kind of going through it. And he meets the Lord at Mount Sinai again, as the Lord had commanded him. He took the two stone tablets, okay? The Lord descended in a cloud, not fire. Interesting, right? He descends in a cloud. The first time he descended on Sinai was in fire, but now he's doing it in cloud, the way he knows, the way he meets with his friend. He stood there with Moses, but get this, as he called upon the name of the Lord. This time, the Lord descends in a cloud because Moses calls on him. Absolutely amazing. The first time, the Lord initiated it. This time... Moses is bringing the stone tablets. Moses has the privilege and the partnership of calling on the Lord in a very intimate, relational way. And now, what happens here? God is getting really personal with Moses. Really personal. The Lord passed by in front of him, proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And he goes on, we know this. Basically, the Lord says, Moses, ultimately, in between the commandments, I can do this how I want to do this. I can be gracious to who I want to be. Be gracious. It's my heart. I can hold sin and guilt against who I want to hold. But ultimately, it's not about the stone tablets. It's about my movement and my initiation with your heart. And it's about your partnership with my heart in the midst of Sinai. We are the Mount Sinai of God. God wants to take what he did with Moses and he wants to make it our reality and every day. So now let's jump forward to what Paul is saying because basically that's what Paul is saying. Look at what Paul says. Before I do that, I, I, my, my comparison was stone tablets versus tablets of human hearts. So before we, we shift and move on, I want to read Jeremiah 31, 35. Look at this. Still in the age of the covenant of Moses, the prophet establishes the heart of God that we see on Sinai with Moses. And the Lord says, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord. Uh, Jeremiah 31, verse 31. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, 
although I was a husband to them. My covenant that they broke on day one, although I wanted to be very intimate with them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And on their heart, I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all, they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. God says, I will no longer take the divine writing of God, the word made flesh. I won't stick it on stone tablets. If you bring me the tablets of your human hearts, the same writing I put on those stones, I will impute, I will put that into your heart, change your spiritual DNA, and you will be living commandments. You will be the very law of God. This is the spirit of God versus the letter of the law. This is the spirit of the law. It's, it's, the, there's, there's, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around this, but if I had an old computer, and, and I'm, now I'm going to try to talk Fed's language, so correct me you know, if you need to, brother, but I had an old CPU or whatever, old, old you know, computer, and, and I have an old, um, um, the, the, help me out, operating system that it's functioning, and it's horrible. It's not doing well, and somebody drops, Fed comes and gives me a book of code this big and drops it on the table and says, look, all you have to do is take that book of code, put it in there, and this thing, it's a whole, whole new, whole new unit. Like, it's going to blow you away. The problem is that, that operating system can't handle, even if I did manually, for hours and hours, that operating system cannot sustain this. It's going to crash. So God says, scratch it. I'm not going to make you write code. I'm going to take the code, and I'm going to take a whole new operating system, and I'm putting it inside of you. That's actually what's happening here. And that's what Jeremiah is saying. By the word of the Lord, this is what the Lord has done, not what, we, what he will do. We're not talking about what the Lord will do. We're not talking about living in sin and making mistakes and saying, well, eventually... Eventually, you know, I'll get my glorified body and all this will change. This happened on day one when the Lord descended and a trumpet blew into your life and the power of the Spirit of God was manifest because in your heart you stepped into the cloud by saying, yes, Jesus, I belong to you. Yes, Jesus, you are Lord. Lord, take my life. Forgive me of my sin. I belong to you. The cloud came in, but more than that, because of what Paul says. The very face of God is manifest. God took himself and put him in the cleft of your heart. On Mount Sinai, he took Moses and hit him in a cleft of rock. But in our day and age, through the finished work of the cross of Christ, God is taking himself and putting it in the cleft of us. He's the one hiding himself internally in us. We're not hiding from the Lord. We're not ducking under a table when 
Mount Sinai happens and the Lord descends. It's already happened. It is our reality. If you are a child of God, if you are a saint of the living God, this is your reality right now internally. It is who you are. You cannot change it. You cannot break those stone tablets because it's your heart. You can't cast it off because it's done. The Lord has done this work. So, if you will, move with me quickly. Verse 7 uh, through 11 of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll jump back ahead. I, I am mostly just going to read what Paul's saying because I think reading it now in light of this, it's going to do a much better job than me trying to break it down for you. Let's, let's just read it. Letter versus the Spirit. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory... Much more that which remains is in glory. What God has done in you remains in glory. It is not fading like the covenant that was given to the people of Israel. That was never meant to sustain and carry the glory of God the way that your human heart does when you step into what Paul is saying here. This is a glory that remains, not a ministry of condemnation. The stone tablets were meant to bring condemnation, to show us our absolute need of reconciliation and forgiveness to be made right with God. This ministry is not about condemnation. This ministry is about righteousness abounding in our hearts by the very finger of God. Verse 12 through 13. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. Therefore, being so confident, Therefore, understanding that this is who I am, that I did nothing in my own. Remember, Paul, he established that right from the get-go. Guys, this isn't anything we've done to be adequate. We didn't create boundaries and do all the right things, and God said, okay, you, you, you've done this well. I'm going to enter into this. God showed up like he showed up on Mount Sinai. His timing, his initiation, yes, we gave him our hearts in the midst of that. We called on the name of the Lord the way Moses called, right? You call on the name of Jesus, you will be saved. So yes, in that same way Moses experienced it, it is happening internally in our heart, and it has happened. So listen to this. We should have great boldness then. Verse 13, and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. Moses had to hide this glory. It was terrifying. These people were terrified at everything that was happening with Moses. But that's fading. Paul's saying that was fading. What Moses was doing, as stunning as it was, it was a fading reality that could not remain. But we have a reality that does not fade away. Listen to, to Colossians one twenty seven. We, we know this one as well. Can we have that verse up there? Yes. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches 
of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus entered the cloud. You and I are the cloud or a tent or a vessel. Jesus entered in the very center, revealed his face to us. When God said that he could not allow his face to be seen because anyone that would see it would die. He made it. He split heaven and, and, and earth, bridged the gap, took away the wall between us and made it our reality that Jesus, the face of Christ Jesus, lives inside of us. And it is a reality we can enter into in our, our, our own secret place, our corporate place, our lifestyles in the workplace. When we go out, we live life, we go to Publix, we grab the BOGO, whatever is going on at Publix, The face of Christ is very present with us in the midst of us. We are experiencing the Lord in a very real way. I've said to my kids a couple times, we know we're seated in heavenly places. This is that dynamic that's happening in a very real way. We're with Christ right now in a reality that's hard for us to grasp right now in the natural. It's hard. It's a challenge. It seems like things are trying to hinder that reality, but it's very real. It's happening. And I tell my kids, <laughs> I feel kind of bad saying this, uh, but I, I said it a couple times, your heavenly seated self right now would not be cool with what you're saying. <laughs> Probably sitting there saying, Jesus, that, I don't know. Um, as a parent, I don't know, it feels like it helps me, like, you know, hey, call you up to a higher place. But it, but it is for all of us. We have a higher place that we live in the Lord. It's a reality. So... I want to leave us with this because I had the hardest time as a teenager. I had a really dear man, um, St. Lenny, they called him, and he had the highest heavenly talk you could ever imagine. You know, there's some people um, that say, you know, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good or whatever, Um, and maybe that at times was kind of my view of Lenny, but he just was quoting scripture all the time. He understood his place in Christ. Um, probably remember Neil T. Anderson. Anyone remember that author and, and the books that he came out? Anyways, that was really big in that day. And he was always trying to give those books to us kids. And he just knew his place in Christ. He was confident, very confident. And I always saw it. And I, I, I struggled with my youthful sins and, and my insecurities and all my problems. And I thought, how can you have that perspective? It seems fake to me. It seems not real. It seems like it's a cloud that you're just floating on and you just want me to get that, but I, when I go home, I struggle with this, and I struggle with this, and I struggle with this. How are you living in that reality? It's because he understood that this is an act that God did inside of him. Not that something that I had to create, right? Very powerful. It starts to set us free when we live in that dynamic. So, this ministry that's taking place in us, far surpasses the glory of Mount Sinai, beyond Mount Sinai. Listen, finish with verse 16 through 18, and we'll close out with this idea. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Another verse we know so well. We, we pull it out because it's powerful and it works, but now we're seeing it directly connected. There is liberty, period. But we all with unveiled face, 
beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And I'll move on a little further in, in 2 Corinthians to read uh, chapter 4, verse 6 and, and 7. Tie this together even more. So verse 6 of chapter 4, the next chapter. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not ourselves. So the, the idea that the very face of God would reside in us and live in us would not be an idea that we could contrive ourselves, but the absolute work of God. The stone tablets were God's work. The human heart that submitted to Jesus Christ is God's work with the manifestation of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus enthroned internally in us. That's the mystery. When it talks about the riches of the mystery, that right there is the baffling mystery. That's the mystery that will be proclaimed and talked about in all of eternity. They're never going to stop. The citizens of heaven, the angels, the people of God, we're not going to stop talking about how incredible it is that God has done this very thing. And you and I, right now in this place, have that reality on the inside of us. Living in us, moving in us, transforming us. It says, like, looking into a mirror. Isn't that beautiful? Why? Because God wants me to look in a mirror. He wants to see, he wants me to see that reflection that many times I can detest and have a whole lot of accusation against. He wants me to stop the lies of the devil. He wants me to look in that mirror and say, I've put my son in the cleft of your heart. Be transformed. Be changed to the image that already exists inside of you. Amen? Amen? That's why it says, listen to this. I love it. It's a treasure. Remember the possession. God wanted Israel to be the treasured possession, his very own treasured possession. And listen here. He gets his way. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God, not from ourselves. We are these earthen vessels. The Lord knows that, and he puts his treasured self in our heart. He gets the possession. But what, what are we getting? What a deal. God says, I want you to be my treasured possession. I'm gonna just put myself right in the center of who you are. Amazing. And that was the relationship that Moses had with the Lord in the midst of even the birthing of the, the law of Moses happened with intimacy. That's why he said, even though I was a husband to them, Moses, this is what they've done. And this is what we have today, this reality of the face of Christ Jesus, the glory of God. So when we, the uh, worship team can come up. When we talk about show me your glory, Lord, we're gonna sing that, that song. But, the reality is it's, it's existing inside of us right now. Amen. It really is within us. 
And a lot of times it's just getting out of the way of ourselves, getting out of the way of the voices we hear, the accusations, the whatever the dynamics are in our human earth, earthly vessels, earthen vessels, getting out of the way and allowing God to reveal himself. Amen.